Hey, Hang Up listeners, you're about to hear a preview of this week's episode of the show. The coronavirus pandemic has made it a challenge for us to do this show in a financially sustainable way. Because of that, we're temporarily changing how we do the podcast. Every other week, the full Hang Up and Listen will be for Slate Plus members only, with just the first segment available to non-members. If you want to hear every word of every episode that we do, you need to subscribe to Slate Plus. It's only $35 for the first year, and your membership will help assure that we can continue doing Hang Up and Listen for a very long time. If you want to subscribe, go to slate.com slash hangupplus. That's slate.com slash hangupplus. And thanks so much for supporting the show. The following podcast contains naughty language. Hi, I'm Josh Levine, Slate's national editor. This is Hang Up and Listen for the week of July 27th, 2020. On this week's show, we'll discuss how the sports world's various and sundry coronavirus bubbles and non-bubbles are and are not working. In the case of Major League Baseball, definitely not working. We'll also talk about the cardboard cutouts, virtual fans, and simulated crowd noise, all of which are making the game we're watching on TV extremely something. I'm not sure what. Uh, And finally, we'll toss around the latest nickname in major North American pro sports, the National Hockey League's Seattle Kraken. I'm the author of The Queen, the host of the now-complete Slow Burn Season 4, coming to you live on tape from Washington, D.C. Joining me, Stefan Fatsis, the author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. There's no tape. There's no tape involved. This is a digital production, Josh, but we should bring back tape. Yeah. I don't know how you produce your side of the show. I send to Melissa just a kind of hand-spliced and mm-hmm. cut film reel where I'm I'm taping things up. So I, I do things in a bespoke uh, analog fashion because I feel like the listeners deserve it. But Respect. Don't. Respect. Yeah. With us from Palo Alto, California, in the bubble, Slate staff writer, host of Slow Burn Season 3. Joel Anderson, you've been in a bubble before bubbles were uh, were cool. America's first bubble, probably. <laughs> so yeah, everything's great. I mean, I, I I may have gotten it, but I emerged stronger. The world's most uh, bubbled ten year old. That's right. That's right. So Monday morning, we woke up to the news that the Miami Marlins were forced to cancel their home opener against the Baltimore Orioles. The Marlins are right now in the midst of their own coronavirus outbreak, with at least 13 people, 11 of them players, recently testing positive for the virus. And these numbers changed. At one point, it was 14, now it's 13. So by the time you hear this, it may change again. But the first hint that the Marlins protocol had broken all the way down came Sunday night. That's when the team announced it would remain in Philadelphia for an extra night instead of flying back to Miami. Then it came out four Marlins players had tested positive, including that day's scheduled starter, Jose Urena. But the team didn't acknowledge the positive test Sunday, nor did they announce roster moves to place the players on the injured list or replace them with players on their taxi squad. Team and league officials seem to believe the infections happened Wednesday on the Marlins' trip to and from Atlanta. Also, before we started recording the show, we learned that the Phillies and Yankees game on Monday, which is today, was postponed. And that seems bad, right? So, Josh, what do you think the Marlins and Major League Baseball should do now? Well, let's rewind a bit and remember that it took one positive test for the NBA to shut its entire operation down for 
what will end up being four and a half months. And so what's changed in you know the, the four and a half months since? We have an enormous nationwide outbreak now. The public health crisis is much more severe. I think we're more knowledgeable about that severity and about the ways in which this virus can spread. And we know um, the ways in which we can, you know, at least hope to control it. And sending athletes around the country on airplanes who are not in any kind of like closed or, or bubbled environment, that isn't how you control how you control it. And so, you know, if we use you know, even the kind of knowledge that we had four and a half months ago when we we knew less, we would say you have to shut this whole operation down. We would also say you should have never started this operation, but you know, that that horse is is long since out the barn door. But you know, Stefan, at this point, it seems like, you know, as we record this on Monday morning, the way that this is being treated is all right, we've got this one team that has an outbreak. We've got these other teams, you know, the Yankees would have to be in the clubhouse where the Marlins were. So we're going to postpone that too. And so it's kind of this contain and control sort of approach, you know, approach and enterprise. And it doesn't seem like baseball is willing to acknowledge or accept, you know, nor would we expect them to. So this entire system that they've put into place is just not, not going to work. Yeah, the whole thing was predicated on it you know, sort of crossing your fingers and hoping that you can contain the problems that inevitably were going to pop up. And for the first, oh, what, two days of the season, containment looked like it was a strategy that, hey, might work. You know, Juan Soto of the Nationals tested positive. We kept him out, tested again, and came up negative a couple times. Mike Moustakas of the Reds got sick. Uh, I'm going to keep him out. Well, but Moustakas got sick after a Reds player, Matt Davidson, played on opening day right. and tested positive. So, th- so this is a an event that didn't actually get that much media attention. But even if we take the Marlins out of it, we have an example of what looks like community spread mm-hmm. in a major league baseball clubhouse. Right. So, the, so the approach that baseball is taking is to basically cross their fingers and hope that. Matt Davidson or Juan Soto's positive tests don't lead to a spread inside a clubhouse. It's kind of magical thinking, right? And it doesn't or don't lead to a spread outside a clubhouse or outside the, the clubhouse. Families. Yeah, I mean it's magical thinking, full stop. And it's it's a it's a it, it's not grounded in science. And that's not to dispute the measures and the protocols that Major League Baseball have implemented. They are doing their best, I am sure. Nobody wants this to spread. But it's so easy for these cracks, these fissures to appear in the system and for the whole thing to break down incredibly quickly. Yesterday, Sunday, you had the manager of the Florida Marlins, of the Miami Marlins, saying, yeah, there was no way we weren't going to play. Our motto is, you know, Don Mattingly, we got to we got to forge ahead and play. And players on the team said the same thing. I mean, why are players and managers having any role here? Shouldn't Major League Baseball be, shouldn't there be a, a, a mandate that as soon as you find out a positive test, Major League Baseball's central office is notified, everything is shut down until we can figure out what's going on. That obviously did not happen here, and it portends incredibly 
poorly for the future of this season. Running parallel with the news about Major League Baseball this morning, there was some other news about a positive test that came out, and it was that President Trump's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, tested positive for coronavirus, right? So to me, all of this is always speaks to a broader, much bigger problem in America. We have not marshaled the resources. We have not abided by the science. We haven't presented a coherent national response. And that's why we're having these failures at every single step of the way. Like, we have not really seen, so far at least, anything that will stand the test of time, a protocol that will stand the test of time. And so it only makes sense that this has infected the, literally and figuratively, it's infected the Major League Baseball. We have epidemiologists, we have scientists, we have all sorts of people that are constructing these sort of things, but none of them are foolproof. And they're only as good as, A, your weakest link, and B, the institute. I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, what, maybe we haven't talked about this enough, or maybe I'm overstating the problem here, but the fact that the Marlins were not willing to come right out and say, hey, look, we're having an outbreak here, like that the news didn't come out until later, to me, that speaks to a much larger problem that like we can't even necessarily trust you guys to monitor yourselves and to be honest brokers in this situation. You know what I mean? I don't, but, but maybe I'm overstating the case there because I, I don't know exactly you know, how the process worked here, but it just seems like people aren't necessarily going to be as upfront about a lot of this stuff. And you know, we'll talk about Lou Williams in a second, but I mean, that is going to be one of the persistent problems, it seems like, uh, in trying to keep these, these games going. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And Stefan, what you said is spot on too. The notion that there was a team vote about whether to play this game is just absurd. And I think reveals that there is something fundamentally broken about Major League Baseball's approach here. This should not be in a manager's hands. I mean, we've seen what happens when, uh, you know, managers or broadcasters try to speak about issues with domestic violence, for instance. I mean, you have people who are totally and utterly unequipped to deal with this situation, nor should we blame them for that. Um, I mean, the domestic violence issue is separate. I think we should blame we should blame them for being unequipped there. But it's like this is this is not your job. Don Man- Mattingly, as far as I know, did not get his master's in in public health. He, you know, <laughs> does he have a bachelor's? I mean, does he even have a bachelor? I mean, seriously, I mean, do we know if he has a bachelor's? <laughs> I don't think he does. I mean, I think he can hit hit to the opposite field. At least he could like thirty years ago. But um, you know, as far as his. Um, capabilities today. I mean, what do what do managers even do? Honestly, he like kind of kind of looks in the uh, good in the uniform and and you know d- does the gesture with his left hand when he wants to bring in a lefty relief pitcher. <laughs> looks I mean, good in quotes, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, uh. Uh, he he looks passable in a uniform. But this should be you know in the hands of maybe not even the commissioner, but in someone that the commissioner designates who actually has the training and the ability to make these these calls. And Ken Rosenthal's piece in The Athletic, he talked to two public health experts 
who both said, take the Marlins out of circulation for two weeks at a minimum would be, you know, what they would recommend and, and endorse. And the fact that we're like sitting here and think that that's, you know, an impossibility, again, su- suggests that health and safety are not the things that are, um, you know, running the show here. I mean, of course, it's a possibility. I mean, both Major League Soccer and the National Women's Soccer League both prohibited teams from participating in their bubbled tournaments because they had outbreaks before they traveled to the bubble. This is obviously different because there is no bubble. I mean, and we can go back and say that, yeah, baseball was the first sport to suggest a bubble. And they were kind of derided back in the spring after the outbreak, including Mm -hmm. by me. Well, for good reason, in that the Major League Baseball or an NFL bubble would be a lot bigger. There are a lot more employees. There would be a lot more choke points in the system that would probably make it untenable. But in retrospect, yes, I'm willing to say that that would have been a better approach, a much better approach than what baseball is attempting to do now. Well, I think the reason that we ridiculed them is that they were early with the bubble concept. Yeah. Actually, and sure, there are the logistical issues with you know, 30 teams times 30 players that are slightly less of the case with, with the NBA. But yeah, and, and and with soccer, too. I think we, we ridiculed them, Joel, because we didn't think that anybody would do any of these bubbles because it just seemed so ridiculous to force all of these people to be away from their families for, for this long. And it, it turns out, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal had this piece that said the, the bubbles actually seem to be working for the NBA, for MLS, for National Women's Soccer League, that there haven't been positive tests of athletes or people in the bubbles once the bubbles have been closed off. Yeah, I think you're right that it seemed absurd when this first came up, right? But again, and you mentioned this earlier, why does it seem any less absurd now? Because when this all shut down a long time ago, It wasn't quite the pandemic that it is now. Like, it is a full-blown national crisis, and we've only pushed forward with the idea that we should be playing sports. Like, we, there's not really been a national conversation about why are are we doing this in the first place? That, like, is this a good use of resources? Is this publicly safe, right? And so, yeah, and, and, you know, not to be Ken Rosenthal or Jeff Passan, but I, too, have a league source a friend who works for a major league baseball team. And one of the things he told me really early was that they were concerned from start that players would not follow protocols. That it would be really difficult to keep guys in on the road. And, you know, everybody thinks that they ha- they're, they're the exception to the rule that, oh, well, if I just make swing by here to, you know, to do this, or if maybe I go get some wings or meet some friends in town or whatever, you know, I can do that. And and he said this, you know, a couple months ago. And so, I mean, ba- baseball has known that this is going to be difficult for a while, and they haven't talked about it publicly, but it was always, you know, beneath the surface of these conversations there. And now we're just seeing, you know, the problem with that. Well, and we're also seeing that teams hadn't done this yet. After the Marlins outbreak on Sunday, in Ken Rosenthal's piece in The Athletic, he quoted an Orioles source saying that the team plans to be just as vigilant away from the field by taking measures to make sure players don't leave the hotel between games and restrict visits from family and friends. You'd think those rules would have been locked in place before the season started, and I think the fact that they weren't, or at least they appear to not have been, indicates that again, that baseball sort of laid this stuff out to the players and expected them to do the right thing or to use common sense. 
and that's just not a tenable solution to to, well, this, to this issue. You don't know. I don't know if we can blame the players. Maybe no, 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 no. We shouldn't blame the players. I'm not saying we should blame the players. It's anybody on the team that it's just not feasible, right? That if you're traveling and you're living at home and you're living your daily life outside of the ballpark the way you normally would, it's not feasible to expect that they're not going to be breakdowns. Yeah. So let's talk about Lou Williams and the NBA bubble. He left to go to his grandfather's funeral and then was seen. Um, you got to talk to your friends about not putting you on on Instagram, America. That's the national <laughs> conversation we need to be having. But a friend of his put, and I think the DJ at the club also put him on, on Instagram, that he was at this uh, famed Atlanta strip club, Magic City, that Lou Williams is so closely affiliated with that there's actually an item on the menu Um <laughs> Named after you, so so when there's an item named after you at a at a strip club, just mm-hmm. imagine like how many how many singles have have touched your uh, your hands uh, at, at that place of business. So <laughs> w- Lou Williams says, "Oh, I just go there because the food, because I really like like the wings." And we can make fun of Lou Williams, or we can talk about how good or not good the Magic City wings are. But I think the point to make here is that it, it's like a news story when an NBA player breaches protocol and then he comes back and he has to be quarantined for 10 to 14 days. And we saw this with Rashawn Holmes, the the player who also was involved in a wing related protocol breach when mm-hmm. he got postmates, but went beyond the barrier of the bubble and then had to be quarantined for, for 10 days. And so I think the way to frame this actually is that Major League Baseball is like living in our reality. Like all of us are are living in the world that all of these players and teams are living in. And so the success or failure of their concept, well, it'll rise and fall based on how the outbreak is going in the whole country. And so it will fail it's like based on what's happening in the world right now. Whereas the NBA and also MLS and the NWSL, this is not reality. They are mm-hmm. living in a world of their own making with rules and like l- the literal air that they're breathing is different. And I-, I think the reaction to the Lou Williams story is just another example of the fact that like this is not how these things normally go in our world. If like a guy that we're like working with and hanging out with goes to get wings at Magic City then we're not we're going to be like you know with that guy he's not going to be quarantined for 10 to 14 days no that's right Josh i mean they're not living in reality but you know the one thing in there there were you know maybe a week ago you started seeing at least a couple of stories talking about how the bubbles worked that a lot of people were impressed with the early results of the bubble but i think the 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 key thing here is that we don't know what this is going to look like a month from now, two months from now. Like starting up is actually probably the easiest part here, right? Um, getting these games off the ground because they know how to stage games. You can put a plan in place and you can say, this is how it's going to work. But then you put people in the mix, right? And so then you've got, you know, Lou Williams thinking he's an exception to the rule, Rashawn Holmes thinking he's an exception to the rule, and guys are just going to make different choices. And I mean, just think about it. I mean, this it, the Lou Williams story is funny. It really is funny up until the point you think about 
well, if he gets infected, maybe he infects somebody else, whether it's his own teammate, a member of the training staff, even a member of the Disney, you know, hotel cleaning staff, right? So, you know, there's just no way... There's just no way to know if these things are going to work because we don't know how people are going to work. We cannot predict what any individual is going to do. And that that one person can be the person that, that can undermine your entire protocol concept. And so while it's funny, it's also kind of scary. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it, it's it's useful as a baseline because if this NBA bubble doesn't work, then nothing could work. Yeah, Yeah. Because it does seem like based on everything we've read and everything we've seen, they are doing everything that you could possibly do to maintain the integrity of the system. And like anything else that you could, uh, I, I just don't know how you could lock it down any further than they've locked it down. And I don't know, Stefan, what do you think? Right, and and it's not to say that it will ultimately work. I mean, it worked in the Women's Soccer League. They wrapped up their tournament on Sunday. They had no positive tests of players for the month that they were isolated. It seems to be working in Major League Soccer. It seems to be working in the WNBA so far. They haven't been bubbled quite as long um, as soccer, but they started their season. But if this is all only as good as you were alluding, Joel, to one screw up. You get one screw up and it spreads and then you have a different set of contingencies. What we've what we're seeing in baseball is that that they did not respond clearly on Sunday with the same level of force that the NBA has to its isolated cases. Major League Baseball allowed a game to be played hours after four players had tested positive. And that's just insane. And it speaks to a failure, not on the part of Don Mattingly and the Marlins players for wanting to go out on the field, but the management of the sport for allowing the game to go on. And 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 if Major League Baseball season isn't shut down, and would it shock you if it were at this point? Oh, it wouldn't shock me. If it's not shut down, I can't see how this doesn't keep happening. Well, I would I would say a couple of things. Number one, I think there just needs to be an entirely different for this to work in baseball. And I think it's possible that it won't work at all, no matter what. But mm-hmm. I think there just needs to be an end to this mentality of, you know, we've got to play through it and fight through it. And also an end to this idea that, like, there's something actually important to the integrity of the game about playing a certain number of games or keeping every team in circulation. They just got to be willing to pull an entire right. franchise out of the league. Right, which I think we've never seen, um, at least in modern times that I can remember, any kind of willingness to do that. But I think they just have to, um, you know, there's there's a DH in the National League. They're willing to they're willing to give up on on that. They just need to be willing to remove the Marlins from baseball if if that's what it takes. And also, just to play devil's advocate a bit on the NBA bubble integrity thing, Stefan. I mean, if there's a breach and one person tests positive, at least in theory, given how vigilant and tight it's been and given the level of monitoring, you could actually do contact tracing and figure out, okay, who are the people that have been in close? And, and you could actually still maintain it. The whole thing wouldn't have to be destroyed just with one or two or three positive tests in theory. Yeah, it doesn't mean that the NBA's procedure is perfect by, by any stretch. I mean, they're still 
staging a shortened season in one of the most hard-hit states in the country with people that still do go in and out of their sequestered world. You know, the NBA is doing it probably as best as anyone can. I mean, all the bubble leagues seem to have the right idea, and that's the best solution possible. doesn't mean it's a good solution. It doesn't mean that any of this should be happening. And just as a, a closing thought here, I lived in Atlanta. I've been to Magic City. <laughs> I've not had the wings. But, Lou, I mean, look, I mean, they do have takeout service. You know, you didn't have to go inside to get the wings, just as a thought. The perfect uh, closing thought. <laughs> That was a preview of this week's episode of Hang Up and Listen. To hear the whole thing, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash hangupplus. Again, it's only $35 for the first year. Your membership will help sustain our show. That's slate.com slash hangupplus. Thanks very much. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.